the Lord's Supper. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of, number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, wonderful to be with you today. We're going into uh, looking at the Lord's Supper together from 1 Corinthians 11:17 to the end of the chapter. And we'll see in this chapter that Holy Communion has a purpose, a pedigree, and a power to it. There's a purpose to Holy Communion, bringing people together. There's a pedigree that goes back to the Lord Jesus himself. And there's a power within it both to release us from things that bind us, our sins, um, but also a misused power that can backfire on us like a bad spell in a Harry Potter movie. Um, So it's an incredible thing, purpose, pedigree, and power. And as we begin to look at that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the scriptures. We thank you that you have breathed life into all of these words. And they can feed us both now and in the future. Pray that you give us humble hearts to understand your word, to stand under your authority, and to live life better as a result. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul changes track very rapidly from the last part of uh, our passage, which seemed to be Uh, about uh, what people should wear in church, and now he's beginning to talk about the practices in church. 
And very quickly you observed that one of the core things that church gatherings did was to remember the Lord's Supper. And it was one of Jesus' decrees, wasn't it? That's the pedigree of it. Uh, We see in Matthew, Jesus lifting a cup, giving thanks, offering it to them, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then saying, I tell you, I'll not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. And what Paul's doing in this passage is is trying to help the church understand how communion should work out for them. But his first comment in the opening paragraph is, is around the purpose. And he says, you've not got the purpose of this right. You're actually harming one another when you come together. Why? Because you're ranking people according to what they have and leaving some people out. So you've got to imagine it was a bit like a bring and share lunch, except the sharing wasn't happening as well as it should have done. People would come together and one person would have a glorious ham and the other person would have a little tuna sandwich. And the person would sit there eating their glorious ham and the other person would nibble on their tuna sandwich and the ham's still there and you're salivating and you're going, and you're on the tuna sandwich. And there may even be someone who couldn't even get to the tuna sandwich level who's wandered in and they're hungry and they're watching the rich people feast away. And then at the end of it, they sort of lift up bread and go, and blessed be God of Israel, um, given for you, given for you, amen. So you've got hungry people You've got average people, you've got rich people, and there's a clear ranking hierarchy that's accidentally emerged in the church that just reflects what's going on outside of the church. And what Paul's saying is, when you come into the church, you're on a level playing field. You're brothers and sisters in Jesus. So whatever you do, make sure you're helping people feel part of everything together. So he says there specifically, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. I love that phrase. I, I hear there are divisions among you. To some extent, I believe it. It actually, contrary to the way that people often think of Paul, to me, this just sounds like a really nice pastor. Have you ever talked to one of those people who looks you in the eye and goes, um, I've heard something bad about you, but I'm not really sure that's you, is it? I'm, I'm probably not. Now, probably the reality is that it's crystal clear there are divisions among them. They've been fighting left, right, and center about all sorts of things, but Paul's trying to tease out their better nature from them. To some extent, I believe him. I'm ashamed. And he even gives a reason why there might be differences. Um, it, it can show where God's approval is. And actually, maybe that's something that is worth reflecting on. When we, we look out at what God's doing among us, sometimes you can think, actually, there's a real blessing on that person for, for prayer or for witnessing or for serving. You can see God's hand on them. And sometimes you see someone who was rubbish at something a while ago suddenly coming to life. And they're doing something for God. It may be small, it may be big. You're like, yeah, I can see God's approvals on them. And it's worth our while looking out among one another and going, Jennifer, I can really see God's approval on you in that at the moment. 
and affirming one another in it. Because when God does something, it's often tangible. You can see it and you go, wow, God's approval's on you. And this Lord's Supper thing, though, he's saying, look, um, when you come together, it's not even the Lord's Supper you eat. And that's a sobering thing, isn't it? We can put on the notice board outside, Holy Communion, 12 noon on a Friday or 9 o'clock on a Sunday. Um, but there's a possibility that it's not even the Lord's Supper we eat if we get it wrong. It's only the Lord's Supper if Jesus is presiding and we're joining in with what he's doing. You know, the famous story, and I think I've heard so many different preachers tell this story. I don't know who the first person to tell this story was anymore, but it's the story of the man who is going off to preach in a church. He has an argument with his wife, and, um, and he storms out of the house. And as he storms out of the house to go and preach, um, God says to him, go back and talk to your wife. <laughs> and he says, I can't, I'm going to preach. <laughs> and, and then God says to him, well, I'm going back to your wife. You carry on without me if you like. <laughs> and actually the reality is, our worship, our churches only really have the mark of Christ when we want Christ to be in the middle of them. And he, he says, look, the problem is, the thing that's putting Christ off being among you is in verse 21. As you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another even gets drunk. Haven't you got homes to eat and, and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who've got nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. He's saying, get some peripheral vision. It might be that you can afford a big ham. Um, get some peripheral vision. How does that make the person next to you feel? At least bring a knife and chop it up and pass it around. Or better still, have your food at home. Let's not show off in front of people. Let's not make people feel left out. Um, instead, uh, and you can see how the church came to adopt the form of just using a nominal amount of bread, a wafer, and a nominal amount of, of wine. But the, you can imagine the riches of what this could have been if we could manage it properly. Many of us will stay on after this service and have lunch together. And in many ways, that's our communion together. We're really sharing ourselves, our lives, our conversations. We're talking together. And there's something about that that is not supposed to be just a religious ceremony. It's supposed to be a great event, an agape feast and to share in. And it's a shame that we've had to minimize it down to a wafer and a sip of wine. And so that's the purpose of the Lord's Supper, bringing people together, um, but not leaving people out and bringing Jesus right into the middle of everything. Second paragraph then is the pedigree. Um, and... Here he says, I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink this in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's wonderful, isn't it? We do communion as often as we do because Jesus commanded us to. It's a bit of a no-brainer. He commands us to be baptized, and he commands us to have communion in remembrance of him. 
It helps us to look backwards and remember his death and resurrection and ascension. But it also is something that we proclaim his death until he comes. It helps us to look forward. And whenever we have communion, we're saying he's coming back. This isn't the end. He's going to come and rule and reign because we have a covenant. And what's a covenant? It's a relationship uh, promise, two directions. He's saying, I'm going to do this for you. I am coming back. And you are forgiven. This is poured out for you. This is broken for you. Promise made. Promise received. So it has a purpose bringing us together and bringing Christ into our midst. It has a pedigree. It goes all the way back to Jesus and the very early church. Um, but there is also a power to communion. And um, we're going to watch a video in a second um, called Mrs. Beamish, which Emma's going to get onto the screens for us now. And, and this is the story of uh, someone at the time when the Church of England introduced the radical uh, invention of the peace. And it was her reaction to the being forced to share peace in a worship service. And if you don't know what the peace is, it's when people stand up and shake hands with one another and say, hello, nice to see you. Um, and we'll talk a bit more about the purpose behind that after seeing this short video. Mrs. Beamish stands in church, expression calm and holy. And when the organ plays, she mumbles hymns extremely slowly. A pillar of St. Botolph's for 20 years or more. She does the flowers at Easter and the brasswork on the door. But recently St. Botolph's has gained a brand new vicar. His name is Ken, he's single and he wants the hymn sung quicker. <laughs> and he's introduced a custom which Mrs. Beamish hates. So she rounds upon the person next to her and clearly states, Don't you dare shake hands with me or offer signs of peace. You lay a finger on me and I'll send for the police. <laughs> Don't whisper, peace be with you. This is the C of E. So bend the knee, say thou and thee, and keep your hands off me. <laughs> Ken tells us, love your neighbor. And Mrs. Beamish sneers. I only love my neighbors if I've known them 30 years. Even when it isn't Christmas, he lets youngsters in the church. He's altered all the music after audience research. They shout out. They don't act like me and you. The young women don't wear hats, and the young men quite often do. And they seem to like their hands enthusiastically wrung till they turn to Mrs. Beamish and they feel her acid tongue. Don't you dare shake hands with me. I don't know where you've been. You lay a finger on me and you'll feel this tambourine. Don't whisper, peace be with you. This is the C of E. So bend the knee, say thou and thee, and keep your hands off me. In the beginning was the word, read out loud by thought I heard. Had he seek him, then would scream, morning is broken by a stream. Now the organ's gone for scrap, every vicar's got the clap. Hallelujah, Mrs. Beamish, Mrs. Beamish. Hallelujah, she's squeamish, so squeamish. Don't you dare shake hands with me, or turn to me and smile. You'll wake up spitting teeth out, face downwards in the aisle. Don't whisper, peace be with you, this is the C of E. You go 
just one inch too far You'll end up wearing that guitar One false step in my direction You'll need to believe in the resurrection So bend the knees and bow and knee And keep your hands off me There you go, classic uh, for you on a Friday. Um, so the piece was one of the great controversial uh, introductions to Anglican worship uh, 30 or so years ago, I think now. Um, and what was the point of it? This paragraph explains the point of it, and, uh, and let's examine it together. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man or woman ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. That's why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. We are judged by the Lord. We are, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, whenever you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that they, you, you, when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I'll give further directions. So, the clear statement here is that you can uh, upset the apple cart in two ways. One is by eating or drinking in an unworthy manner. And the other is in failing to recognize the body of the Lord um, when you take communion. In failing to recognize that it is the body and blood of Jesus. Which is uh, so enormously controversial, you could spend essays um, ex examining that one. And one of, the, one of the ideas in the first thing about um, receiving in an unworthy manner is thinking about who's next to you when you receive. Uh, because the whole point of the communion was it was people coming together. It's not a little private event. Um, I'm allowed to celebrate communion anywhere, anytime, any place, except one place, uh, when I'm on my own. Because it's not communion if I do it for myself. It's communion when we share with someone uh, and with others. Um, and one of the key things here is... Are we being church together? Are we at peace with one another? Are we friendly with one another? Do we have unforgiveness in our hearts when we approach the Lord's table? Are we bitter about person five along the road from us? Do we have animosity? Do we have unconfessed sin? So the point of the peace, which um, has other points as well, but the key point is in a moment of examination. We have confession first, confessing our sins. And then the peace is a chance for me to go to Maggie or Dennis and Stephen and go, peace be with you, which hidden in it may be an apology <laughs> or a sense of I'm releasing you from the lack of forgiveness that I've got for you over X, Y, or Z. So when I, I'll see Dennis because I've got... rubbish that I may have had towards Dennis or he's with me, in that moment a transaction happens and we go, freedom. I'm released from that. And, you know, I might have just made a new friend or welcomed someone to church or all, all the rest of it as well. That's one thing. What's our account like 
with our neighbor, with the people around us, because it's a communal table. We don't get to be there going, I'm all right, but she's terrible, (laughs) or she's terrible and I'm even worse. We all come as one around the family table uh, and have to be at peace with one another as well as God. It's a communal exercise. That's part of its purpose. It all stems back to Jesus there. Um, and the second one is that is more difficult because um, there are all sorts of different theologies around what communion is. I've always particularly appreciated Martin Luther, who was a stroppy so-and-so in the time of the Reformation. And uh, there was one point where he was discussing what communion is, and uh, he apparently stabbed his bread knife in the table, um, having carved in Latin, hoc est corpum meum, uh, which means this is, this is my body. Um, and he's saying, you can't get away from this is my body. It's not just a piece of bread. It's not just uh, representative it is in some way Jesus. Now, of course, if you went to the, um, the older school, particularly Roman Catholic Church, they had a belief in what they called transubstantiation, which is that the bread had literally become the flesh of Jesus and the wine had literally become the blood of Jesus. It doesn't taste like that, doesn't look like that, but somehow it has literally become Jesus. Um, the Church of England position has always been closer to what they call consubstantiation, saying... Uh, which is pretty much what this passage, I think, is saying. This is spiritually Jesus. Um, It's not just a trinket memory. It's not just an idea. It's not just something that he gave us to do. This is actually him really present among us in a spiritual way. Um, And this passage, I think if you disagree with that, which many people would, um, you have to reckon with this passage Um, particularly verse 29. Anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. It's almost like he's saying, please note that this isn't just something you casually do. This is Jesus feeding you. And you'll remember the time in Jesus' ministry when most people deserted him. It was at the point when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciples. Graphic language. And people said, how can he give us his flesh and his blood? This is in John, John chapter 6, around the time of feeding the 5,000. Unless you eat me, it sounds like cannibalism. But the answer, as we can see, is communion, not cannibalism. And he's saying, this really is Jesus. It's why it's the climax of any worship service, to have communion together. It's the highest act of worship we get to do where he is tangibly physically present in a way even beyond any other thing communion is absolutely important in our church discipline and practice and it says that if you eat and drink in a way that is unworthy it can lead to side effects um, sickness weakness even death if we judged ourselves he says we wouldn't come under judgment when we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. What, what's the outcome? Should I not take communion just in case? Um, should I make sure I'm perfect before I come to communion? No, that's not it at all. As long as you know you're not perfect and you're not worthy and you're looking to him saying, I need you, you're fine. 
you're fine. If you're coming going, I'm all right, and she's rubbish, then you're in trouble. So if you're coming humbly going, I need help, that's the way into the kingdom of God. If you're coming arrogantly going, I don't know why I'm bothering with this. <laughs> I could have sung another six songs instead. Then you need help. And you may be in spiritual danger. <laughs> Communion is one of the most concentrated, important spiritual events in a Christian person's life. Never to be taken lightly. But always with great reverence and respect and awe, even if with fun along the way. As a pedigree that goes back to Jesus, it has a power. And it has a glorious purpose of bringing us together, united as those who need a saviour together. And as we come now and approach communion, um, let's, through the liturgy, through the prayers that are coming up, make sure we're ready to receive Jesus today in this way.